Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. I'm going out with the girls this weekend. Nails, done. Outfit, stunner. And my skin, I know it's going to be glowing because I glammed up my shower routine with new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash. It smells so luxurious and deeply moisturizes with its super rich, creamy lather that's bursting with vitamin B3 complex. So my skin glows and my confidence grows. Try new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash for glowing skin in just 14 days. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. We live in an age of uprising. From Haiti to Hong Kong, from Ecuador to Sudan, from Chile to Myanmar, from the US to Iran, an entire generation has been confronted with the horror of our world and took the simple expedient of picking up a brick and throwing it at a cop. Yet as the uprising swept the globe, there was one country where it was considered impossible. Every expert, every policymaker, every kid on a street corner knew there was simply no chance of a mass street movement in China. On Monday, it was unimaginable. On Friday, it was everywhere. Welcome to It Could Happen Here. What we've been watching for the past three weeks now is the failure of one of the most sophisticated political regimes in human history. A political, social, and economic regime designed specifically to stop this one moment. After 30 years of repression, the national mass street movement has returned to China. This is what it was all about. Everything from the censorship policies to union busting to subsidized mortgages for a rising Chinese middle class. It was about keeping people from going back to the streets to make even the idea of it impossible. And yet, here we are. In one sense, the party has little to fear from this round of protests, barring an immense intensification of violence, which at the moment seems extremely unlikely. But in another sense, the CCP is perhaps the last regime on earth that truly remembers the previous age of revolution, that remembers when the workers took Shanghai in 67 and very nearly took Beijing in 89. These are people who understand that China's political system is built on shaving a sleeping bear. And no matter how profitable that system is, there's always a chance that one day that bear is going to wake up. Now, 
The bear isn't fully awake yet. We are not watching in China a full-scale uprising a la Sudan or Myanmar. But that bear, the heir to maybe the most militant working class the modern world has ever seen, is starting to open its eyes. So what is the CCP currently facing? Since about November 26th, there have been widespread anti-government protests in China. Unlike anything we've seen in the last 30 years, these protests are everywhere. They're in Beijing, they're in Nanjing, they're in Shanghai, they're in Guangzhou, they're in Xinjiang, we'll get back to that one in a second. They're in Wuhan. Reports I saw said that there were protests at 77 universities. That number is almost certainly an undercount now. And these student protests are not just taking place at small colleges in the middle of nowhere. There were protests at Tsinghua University, which, for an American audience, I would compare to China's version of Harvard. It's the college that produces the upper echelon of the Chinese ruling class. Xi Jinping graduated from there. So did his predecessor, Hu Jintao. And the only reason that Hu Jintao's predecessor did not graduate from there is that that guy was so old that he went to college under the Japanese occupation. When I was originally writing this, I had a joke here about how the only city where there haven't been protests is Harbin, which is the city in the absolute middle of nowhere in northern China. But no, I googled it, and it turns out there have been protests in bloody Harbin. For people who aren't very good at Chinese geography, which is probably most people, this means these protests are everywhere. They're in the north, they're in the south, they're in the east, they're in the west, they're in the far west. And it's true that a lot of these protests are not that big, although some of them are absolutely massive. But the importance here is that this is the first time in 30 years that we've seen widespread national protest over a single issue in China. The enormity of which is compounded by the fact that people in the streets of cities like Shanghai are openly calling for the fall of the CCP and Xi Jinping, something that by itself can get you a decade in prison just for saying. We can ask what these protests are actually about. The version you see in the American press is that these are anti-lockdown protests or protests against China's COVID-0 policy or that they're also pro-democracy protests against the entire regime. And this is sort of true as far as it goes, but it doesn't capture the core of what's going on, which is that what we're seeing is a widespread fusion of labor rebellion, anti-police brutality protests, and a revolt against the authoritarian state. The thing that's brought all of this together is the CCP's COVID policy. But that's because that policy is the most visible and most concentrated expression of the state's general authoritarianism and brutal war against the working class. We can learn a lot about what's actually been happening by going back a little bit to the very start of the protests. There are three specific events that sparked the protests, two of which are pretty well covered, and one of which has been basically ignored because of how long ago it happened. The first spark is essentially an event in its own right. This is what I would call the Foxconn Revolt, a series of worker uprisings against the manufacturer of the iPhone, which, with a single factory, controls vast portions of the regional economy of Henan province, where its largest factory is based. The Foxconn Revolt has been brewing for a long time. It began essentially when Foxconn began to impose what's called the closed-loop system, the closed-loop system was originally developed by the NBA to run an NBA season during the beginning of the pandemic. The idea is that you keep everyone inside a closed loop. This means that everyone in the production process has no contact with the outside world at all for as long as the manufacturing cycle goes. 
the CCP started adopting the closed loop as they hit problems with their twin imperatives to both stop COVID and also to make sure that Foxconn hit its production targets so Apple could have enough iPhones for the Christmas rush. The result was that as an October wave of infections hit Hainan province, where Foxconn's largest factory was located, 200,000 workers were put into a closed loop system, which meant they were trapped in the factory in their dormitories. In order to keep this factory running, Foxconn needs about 100,000 migrant workers. The problem from Capital's perspective with migrant workers is that they can, if things get bad enough, just go home. And that's exactly what happened. Workers inside the Foxconn plant started to be quarantined with people who were sick in the same dormitory. And it's worth noting here that these dormitories are tiny. The conditions, even outside of lockdown, are atrocious. And when people were suddenly getting quarantined with people who were sick, workers essentially just said no and started to stage massive breakouts. There are incredible videos of these trains of people like along the road walking home and sort of hitching rides on people's trucks fleeing the factory. We don't actually know how many workers escaped, but it was enough to be a massive problem for capital. Again, they need these workers in order to make enough iPhones to sell for Christmas. Current estimates suggest that Apple is somewhere between 11 and 15 million units behind what it needs to make the Christmas rush. So, Foxconn had the local government recruiting people to go work in the factory. What they told these workers was that if they entered the closed loop for 30 days, they'd be given 3,000 yuan, which is about $415, to live on for the next month, and then get paid 30 yuan, or about $4 an hour. And then, after the end of the next 30 days, they'd get another 3,000 yuan. In the US, this would be a sub-minimum wage poverty job. For a Chinese worker, this is a lot of money. Or, it would have been... Had it not been for one minor problem, all of it was bullshit. Foxconn and the CCP were lying out of their asses. After workers were already in the closed loop, they learned that the two 3,000 yuan bonuses weren't going to be paid until March and May of next year. Meaning that in order to get what they were promised for two months of work, they were going to have to work for seven months. Also, the 30 yuan an hour wage that they were promised was a lie. They were getting paid substantially less than that. So, on Tuesday the 22nd of November, workers who had emerged from quarantine to start work, only to learn that they had been systemically lied to by both the government and uh, Chinese and Taiwanese capitalists, came out of their dormitories and demanded that they either get their money or be allowed to leave. There's another part of this account that I think complicates a lot of the sort of narratives that we've heard about what these Chinese protests are about that did not make the Western press at all, which is that these workers were also demanding that their bosses, quote, implement pandemic prevention and control measures. Um, it's not entirely clear what the specific demands refers to, but it seems to be about not quarantining sick people in the same dorms as healthy people, a thing that seems relatively obvious, but capitalism. Regardless, the product of bosses ignoring these demands was several days of full-scale fighting with the police. On November 23rd, a bunch of videos began to spread of workers taking those metal police barricades that you see all the time in the U.S. that are essentially an arch with a bunch of bars connected into a flat base. You've, you've probably seen these. Picking them up and straight up throwing them at cops or grabbing them and beating police riot shields with them. I have, I have never seen anything like it. It was absolutely wild. 
At this point, after several days of fighting, after their own regular security people literally refused to show up to go fight these workers and police from outside had to be called in, Foxconn gave up, said, okay, we will give you 10,000 yuan to literally leave right now. Please just stop. And a lot of people took the money and left. And in any other year, in any other moment, that would have been the end of it. The Foxconn riots would be another episode in the never-ending series of they tried not to pay us riots that are the most common, one of the most common forms of workers' protest in China. Instead, on Thanksgiving Day in the United States, videos started to circulate of a fire in a residential block in Urumqi, the capital of Xinjiang. There are several videos of the fire. In one that journalists were able to verify, you can hear people screaming from inside the building as they tried and failed to escape the flames. Further videos showed that cops had barricaded off the streets with metal wires as a way to enforce Xinjiang's 100-day-long lockdown, which prevented firefighters from getting to the scene. Firefighters can be seen firing water hoses at the building only for the hose's arc to fall short, trapped behind barricades that prevented them from getting any closer. Speculation about whether the doors of the apartment building themselves had been sealed shut with locks or barricaded from the outside, as had happened to so many other people's homes during the lockdown, ran rampant. One video I saw from another city appeared to show workers in hazmat suits, who've become known as the Big Whites, literally welding someone's door shut to keep them in. To make matters worse, the head of the Arumchi City Fire Rescue Department blamed the families for their own deaths, saying, quote, some residents' abilities to rescue themselves were too weak. These are the videos, the fragments of nightmares brought to life, that started the mass protests. This is a revolution seen in 30-second intervals. Everyone is trying to beat the censors. Clips flow back and forth between WeChat, Twitter, Telegram, back to WeChat again. Ironically, many censors were already home for the weekend, allowing clips and posts that otherwise would have been removed immediately to circulate for hours, and sometimes even days. These brought back the memory of the third spark, the one that's basically been forgotten about in the West, if anyone even cared to know about it in the first place. In September, a bus full of people with COVID in Guangzhou that the government was shipping to a quarantine center crashed and killed 27 people, wounding 20 others. Conditions in these centers, which COVID patients are often forced to go to rather than quarantining in their homes, are atrocious. Pictures and videos circulate constantly of bathrooms covered in human shit from failing drainage systems, as China's already overtaxed medical system simply failed to keep up with the demands on it placed by the government, which, like the American government, has and continues to systematically refuse to invest in medical infrastructure. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? 
Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Dad deserves something really nice for Father's Day. But let's face it, we usually don't do it. Big gifts are for Mother's Day. Picking something up on the way is for Father's Day. Well, let's make Father's Day something this year with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. It whips up over 60 premium cocktails on demand, each ready at the push of a button. And right now, you get $50 off the Bartesian Cocktail Maker when you buy one pack of Dad's favorite cocktail capsules. Dad will publicly love that you saved 50 on the countertop machine that crafts premium cocktails on demand. And he'll secretly love that you splurged on him for Father's Day with the gift of a Bartesian. Because the only thing that lets Dad know he's the world's number one dad better than a world's number one dad coffee mug is an artisan cocktail in his hand. Make dad's Father's Day and Father's Day cocktails with all natural juices and bitters without making any mess at all. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get $50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriman, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com. Intimate familiarity with these wretched conditions and the raw horror at the deaths in Xinjiang and Guangzhou sparked protests across the country. In Urumqi, a now 70% Han city under constant police occupation, Han protesters appeared to be moved in solidarity with the Uyghur families killed in the fire and fought the police with a ferocity unmatched anywhere but the migrant worker villages of Guangzhou along the Pearl River Delta, one of China's great manufacturing hubs. These desperate struggles were given relatively little attention by a Western media class enamored with the image of students carrying blank white pieces of paper to protest the censorship, a common form of protest in places like Hong Kong. This time, at least, they were tied to a particularly funny piece of media censorship. As protests mounted, people started posting an article version of a speech by Mao called Let the People Speak, the Sky Will Not Fall. Chinese censors quickly ran into a classic CCP problem, which is that in a state whose heroes are communist revolutionaries, celebrated historical figures produce an immense repertoire of slogans and quotes for subsequent generations of revolutionaries to draw from, which has caused the CCP at various points in time to ban the opening of its own national anthem, Arise Ye Who Refuse to Be Slaves. As censors banned Let the People Speak, the Sky Will Not Fall, people began posting the article but with the words replaced by squares. This, too, was also deleted. And then posting simply blank white squares themselves, which saw their reflection in the students in the street. The CCP, in turn, retreated to its traditional tactic of blaming the protests on foreign forces interfering in China, a claim which is less than credible in a country that has rolled up the CIA's entire in-country intelligence network at least once in the last decade. There's an incredible exchange that has made the rounds between a cop who is telling a group of protesters that there are, quote, foreign forces around manipulating the protests, who is immediately yelled at by a guy screaming, who are the foreign forces, Marx and Engels, Stalin and Lenin? Another man appears and asks, 
Hi, can I ask if it was foreign forces who started the fire in Xinjiang? Was the Guizhou bus overturned by foreign forces? Another man grabs the mic and says, Was everyone told to come here by foreign forces? The crowd shouts no. He then makes an incredibly obvious point. We can't even access the foreign internet. How are foreign forces meant to be communicating with us? Another man says, We only have domestic forces not allowing us to govern ourselves. Where are these foreign forces? From the moon? Still, managing these accusations has become a constant part of the protests. With calls from protesters to stop chanting things like down with the CCP and attempts to keep the demands focused on COVID policy, like ending COVID zero. And this is where things get incredibly muddled by a Western press that decided to stop giving a shit about COVID deaths a year ago. And a set of contrarians arguing that no, actually, China's COVID policy is actually good. This entire debate hinges on the conflation of the stated government policy of zero COVID, which is an attempt to stop all cases of COVID, and the actual execution of the policy, which has taken the form of a war against China's working class and a set of draconian police state abuses. One thing that Western quote-unquote experts have been quick to point out is that, well, the CCP has to keep doing COVID zero or 1.5 million people will die. There is a tiny bit of truth to this, in that one reason Chinese COVID restrictions are so harsh is that if COVID was simply let rip like it has been in the US, it would go through China's largely unvaccinated rural elderly population like a chainsaw. And unlike in the US, if a million people died in China because the government fucked up a pandemic response, party officials would be getting beaten to death in the streets. And part of the reason for the crisis in China in the first place is that the rest of the world gave up on trying to contain COVID entirely. If the rest of the world had, you know, done their jobs and stamped out the virus, none of us would be here right now. On the other hand, no, absolutely not. You do not actually need to weld people into their houses or drag them by force out of their homes so they can die in bus crashes on their way to unsafe and unsanitary pseudo-hospitals with bathroom floors literally covered shit in order to contain the pandemic. Lots of pandemics across human history have been contained without doing this shit. Just because the two great world powers have decided that their COVID responses are kill a million people by forcing everyone back to work so that no one has to actually deal with the political consequences of telling a bunch of unbelievably deranged and heavily armed fascists no, and lock 200,000 people in a factory and force them to make iPhones and then beat the absolute shit out of them when it turns out you've lied to them about their pay, doesn't mean that there aren't other options that we could take for pandemic responses if we decided to stop letting a bunch of venal and corrupt assholes rule us all. And this is something that people in China also understand, even if the Western press corps is dead set on presenting their demands as if they're American anti-maskers. You can tell, obviously, that Chinese protesters are not simply a copy of right-wing American fascists by simply looking at a picture of a protest and seeing how many people are wearing masks. China is not the US. Regular people actually do care about containing the pandemic. This is why there was a real pandemic response in the first place after the government utterly botched it. If you look at the actual demands of the protesters, you will see things that normally would seem more at home with liberal American protesters attempting to see pandemic restrictions enforced properly. Things like, our pandemic response must be based on science. But people, even people who don't want to die of a plague, do not want to be horribly abused by cops or horrifically exploited by the state and capitalists. And that, I think, is something we do all understand. Only time can tell what will happen to these protests. 
The government is quietly making concessions and not so quietly hunting down people who took to the streets. It is entirely possible that the protest will simply die. And that, in two or three years, most people will have forgot they ever happened. From a sort of brutal materialist perspective, however, it seems unlikely. China's social system could function fine as long as growth was at 15%, or 10%, or even 8%. But when growth inevitably comes down to 2%, the deal of keep your head down and everyone will get rich starts to look a lot less attractive. COVID has simply intensified all of the traditional contradictions inside Chinese society and made visible the horrors that previously had been obscured, and it seems unlikely that those contradictions will someday vanish. But here in the present, the impossible continues, and every day it does is another day that the gates of possibility inch a bit further open. This has been Naked Happened Here. You can find us at Happened Here Pod on Twitter or Instagram. We have a website, coolzonemedia.com, where you can see the sources for this and other episodes. Enjoy your week, and remember that you too can defeat your own ruling class. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! <laughs> I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriment, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com. I'm going out with the girls this weekend. Nails, done. Outfit, stunner. And my skin? I know it's going to be glowing because I glammed up my shower routine with new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash. It smells so luxurious and deeply moisturizes with its super rich, creamy lather that's bursting with vitamin B3 complex. So my skin glows and my confidence grows. Try new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash for glowing skin in just 14 days.